What I want you to do is open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 1. For those of you that are listening online, this is a separate study tonight. We're breaking from our Hebrew study to do a look at current events, the end times, the last days, all these different things, and how close are we to the return of Christ? Can we know all that? We're going to try to cover these things tonight in this hour that we have. But before we get started, we must take a look at Acts chapter 1. And look at verses 6 and 7. It says, So when they met together, this is after Jesus rose from the dead and he'd been on the earth for 40 days, they're on the Mount of Olives now. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now there's a couple things that I want to set up with tonight. As we go into this study, I need, 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 need to make sure that something is very, very clear. We're not talking tonight at all about predicting when the return of Jesus is going to be. The Bible is very clear that we're not to know the date. We're not to know the, when it's going to happen. We're going to look at a little bit of the scripture. In fact, that the scripture says that we are to recognize the signs and we're to be watching We're going to be talking tonight about many signs that I believe are being fulfilled. But please do not walk out of here ever thinking that this was on knowing when, specifically. Jesus himself said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But there's also something in there that I want you to hear. The date has already been set. Did you catch that? The time in which God brings all things to fulfillment... As you're going to see as we look at tonight, the Bible talks about the tribulation period, the last seven year period left for the nation of Israel and for the world. When Jesus returns at the end of that time to set up his kingdom on the earth, there's going to be a literal millennial reign, 1,000 year reign of Jesus on the earth. We're going to be with him and we reign with him, the Bible says. But what I want you to understand is, is that date has been set. This is not some maybe it will, maybe it won't happen kind of a thing. Turn over in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. You'll see it even said again more clearly in Acts chapter 17. Look at verse 31. It says, For he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this, of this to all men by raising him. From the dead. Who is the one that he's going to judge the world through? Jesus. Jesus. Folks, the date has already been set. The wheels are in motion, if you will. We are in a certain time period in this history of what God has already mapped out. That's why we have the book of Revelation that's going to tell, that tells us how it's all going to play out. But the problem is, and God has done this for a reason, God has not given us the specific details. Any idea why God has not given us the specific details? We'll run ahead of him. We'll try. We're humans. We, we, there are people out there today that are trying to figure out the exact date. There's actually a man uh, named Harold Camping, and uh, I'm not going to read this to you, but uh, he's, he's, uh, there's an article here written by a man named David R. Reagan uh, from Lamb and Lion Ministries, and he had his article titled Harold Camping, The Madness of Date Setting. If you haven't heard already, it's all over the world, actually. This guy, Harold Camping, uh, he's 88 years old. He has predicted when the return of Jesus Christ is going to be for the rapture of the church. Here's the thing. Um, He predicted this back in 1992 that it was going to happen in 94. He he was wrong. He was proven to be a false prophet. But now he's redone his math, and it's supposed to be May 21st of this year. And he's got people all over the world that are following him. The people are buying T-shirts. They're filling up billboards. Uh, they actually send in missionaries all over the world to tell everybody about this date and how that's the return of Christ. If you just Google May 21st, 2011, you'll see plenty about it. 
there's a history all the way through uh, Christendom of people who want to try to predict when Jesus is going to rapture the church or when he's going to come back to the earth. We're not going to be trying to do that, folks. That's not what our purpose is. My purpose is to have you be cautious and at the same time watching for the return of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says we're to be looking, we're to be ready, and we're going to be dealing with some of that stuff tonight. But please don't, there's a tendency in all of us to try to figure it out. Don't go there. Jesus said it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father set by his own authority. But as you're about to see in some scriptures I'm going to show you, we are to be recognizing the signs of what's going on around us. But interestingly enough, if you even do a little study, there's a Millerite movement back in the 1800s, a man named uh, um, uh, William Miller, who he had figured it all out, that it was going to happen in 1844, uh, March 21st. But, of course, Jesus didn't return then, and he redid his math, and it was going to be in October of 1844, and, of course, that didn't happen. And actually, the Seventh-day Adventist, uh, I'm just going to say it nicely, the cult, of the Seventh-day Adventists came out of came out of this group of people who were sure that they knew when Jesus was going to return. Miller died uh, embarrassed because all of his prophecies didn't come true. But actually, a group a, a group of people branched out from that and started what we now know as the Seventh-day Adventists. And all there's a group of people. There's something in every one of us that has a tendency and a desire to figure it out, to prove something, and to look at the numbers and to do the math. Jesus clearly said it's not for you to know the times or the dates. But it is. We are to know the signs. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight as we take a look at some scriptures that go along that line. Go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, the disciples are walking with Jesus in the temple area. It says in verse 1 that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Look closely what, they, what they've asked. When will this happen? We're talking about the stone being no stone left on top of another. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, we're not going to take the time to break this down too much, but you look closely first at the fact that they said, what will be the signs of the end? And you're coming. And Jesus said, does not say, that's not for you to know. He says, let me tell you what the signs will be. And according to this, what were some of the signs that he said we're to be watching for? Nations against nation. What else? Earthquakes. Famines. False prophets. Many people claiming to be the Christ. We've been seeing this happen throughout history, a little bit here, a little bit there. But he used this very interesting term. He says, these are the beginning of birth pains. And those of you that know anything about birth pains, you know they start off kind of sporadically. 
but in time they begin to increase, and when the birth pains increase, and increase not in frequency, but in intensity, you then know what? It's time for the baby. It's getting close. And that's what we're to be watching for. We're to be watching for the birth pains. We're to be watching for these signs that Jesus said. Now, I want to also clarify something. Because of replacement theology that has crept into the church, whether intentionally or unintentionally, many of us, if we've grown up in the church, have grown up reading the church into all the passages in the scripture. We kind of try to read the church into it. But I believe, actually, what Jesus is talking about here is signs prior to his second coming, prior to the tribulation period and what's going to happen, not prior to the rapture. Do you understand what I'm saying? I need to clarify this. I want you to hear me. I believe the Bible teaches, and you've heard me teach on this, that the Bible teaches that the rapture of the church, Jesus gathering his bride, will happen before that last time period on the earth called the tribulation period, before the millennial kingdom is set up. These are not signs of the rapture. These are signs that the tribulation period is about to begin. And whenever you see in the, in the scriptures the term, the day of the Lord, it's talking about that last time period on the earth when God begins to work out his plan for the nation of Israel. That last seven mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. When he is judging the nations, when he is bringing his wrath and all the different things. And remember our Revelation study, that what the Bible said was going to happen during that time period. And the day of the Lord culminates with Jesus himself at the end of that seven year period coming to the earth himself reconciling the nation of Israel that is left. They're all going to be saved. Those who have made it through that to that point, he is then going to march, as we looked at, from Basra all the way to Jerusalem to set up his kingdom, defeating his enemies along the way in what we know as the Battle of Armageddon. And when he steps foot on the Mount of Olives, it splits in two and the millennial kingdom begins. The day of the Lord is this last time period that we're getting close to. Now, what I want you to understand is, as we talk about this tonight, the rapture of the church is all the way through scripture taught as being imminent. It could happen at any time. I'm going to give you some ideas of possibilities of when it may happen tonight. Again, not trying to predict or just just for the fun of it and for, for curiosity's sake, show some things to you that make you go, hmm, I'd like to look at my scriptures some more. My purpose tonight is to encourage you with what the Bible has to say about looking and being ready, not so that you would predict, but so that you would be encouraged, and also curious to know a little bit more of what the scriptures actually do say about all this. Because there are many prophecies that we're not even be able to even get to tonight to deal with. But I want to throw this out to you. The rapture could occur tonight. Does that mean that the tribulation begins tomorrow? No. The Bible doesn't say that the rapture occurs and then immediately the tribulation begins. Now many of us that have grown up in church and seen the maps and the charts, we always have the rapture and then tribulation begins right away. There could be a period of time between the rapture of the church and the seven, last seven years of the, of the nation uh, of Israel and all that in the world going on. There could be a long time period. And some of the things we'll talk about tonight may give evidence that there might still be a time period. But the believers back at the time that Paul wrote, God through Paul wrote many of the books of the Bible, they believed the return of Christ was going to happen in their lifetime, did they not? Yes. Were they wrong for thinking that? No, no because... Jesus said, watch, be ready. You don't know when he's coming. You've got to be looking. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is, is that here Jesus says, here are some signs that I want you to look for. And he was saying, be watching, be looking. I believe some of these signs, listen closely, are beginning to happen. I believe we're at the beginning of the birth pains. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that we're at the end end yet. I believe that things are starting to amp up. 
and it's getting close to that final seven beginning. Which means if the rapture happens prior to that, as the Bible says, when you see these things begin to take place, look up, because your salvation draws nigh. And Allison's trying to get first in line over there. So, Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Go to Luke chapter 19. Jesus expects us to recognize the signs of what's going on in our day, according to Scripture. In Luke chapter 19, look at verses 41 through 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Do you see it? Now he's talking about what happened in AD 70 and the judgment that came because of their rejection of the Messiah. Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they welcomed him as the Messiah, but within a week they were saying crucify him. And I want you to understand, if they had really truly received him as their Messiah, the millennial kingdom would have started right then. But please understand something. He still would have had to die for their sins. Do you understand? As a young child, as I looked at that and looked at scripture, I used to think that if they had just said, oh, we believe you're the Messiah, that he could have just started the kingdom. No, the scripture is very clear. He had to die for their sins. So they would have had to believe that he was the Messiah, but also that he was the one who was to die for their sins. And he still would have had to die and rise from the dead because the prophecy said in Daniel, in Isaiah, in Psalms, there were, the prophecies talked about these things. And so he still would have had to die if they had accepted him as the Messiah. That's why when John the Baptist came and the, the disciples asked Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration after seeing Elijah there with him, they said, wait a minute, don't, doesn't the scripture say that Elijah has to come first? And Jesus said this, I tell you, Elijah will come future and restore all things. But I'm also going to say Elijah has already come. That's confusing for some of us. But if they had accepted the message of John the Baptist and Jesus as Messiah, John the Baptist would have been the fulfillment of that prophecy. But he wasn't fully because they didn't accept. But God knew this all along. And everything's right on schedule. Alright? But Jesus said, because you didn't recognize the signs... Because you didn't recognize what was going on in your day. You missed out. Folks, I don't want to miss out. There are too many people in this world today that are going on like everything's is normal. There's too many Christians who are oblivious to what's really happening in our world. Yes, there are wackos who are trying to read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other and trying to make it all fit and trying to predict everything. No, we're not going to become like that. But we need to be people who are ready and watching because Jesus said you should recognize what's going on in your day. Let me show you another passage. Go to Luke chapter 12. Look at verses 54 and 50 through 56. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky? How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Now, why was he, why was he judging them? Why was he making this statement? What had they been given that should have told them what was happening? They had been given scripture, the Old Testament. With, again, all the way through the Old Testament, the, 
prophets have been talking about the coming of the Messiah, how he was going to be a suffering servant, how he was going to be crucified, how he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, it said in Zechariah 9, 9, how, how uh, he was going to be born in Bethlehem, as it said in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. All the way through, the Old Testament had been saying about his coming, and there he was, and scripture was being fulfilled right in their very day, and they were missing it. I believe scripture is being fulfilled in our day. We're going to take a look at some of that stuff tonight. I don't want you to miss it. Okay? So, are we going to know what, when it's going to happen? No. Well, I believe we're going to know exactly when. Are we going to know it's going to be close? Yes. And there's one last thing I want to deal with before we start looking at some things. Prophecy has been given to us so that we will know it and take it to heart. Have it in our hearts. Know what the prophecies say. But prophecy will never fully be understood until after it's been fulfilled. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't say, oh, the prophecy says this, 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 and this. We can speculate. We can try to put it together. But we don't know for a fact. That's why so many Christians are wrestling over when the rapture is going to occur. Or all this kind of stuff. Because... Prophecy will only be fully understood after it's occurred. As you heard me say before, the Old Testament prophecy said about Jesus' first coming that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, but he was going to be a Nazarene from Nazareth, that he was going to come out of Egypt. And they would wrestle over those passages and say it's impossible for one person to be born in Bethlehem, but to be from Nazareth, yet come out of Egypt. That's impossible. Can't happen. But now, after it was all fulfilled, we look back and say, wow, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he's really from Nazareth, because that's where his family was from. But because of the census, they had to go to Bethlehem to be counted. That's when she gave birth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he's really from Nazareth. Yet for a time, because of Herod trying to kill him, he had to hide in Egypt for a long time. And guess what? He came out of Egypt. Now it all makes sense. Prophecy will not fully make sense until after it's been occurred, after it's occurred. So don't try to turn prophecy into foretelling and predicting. Know what the prophecies say. Know that the Bible says in Joel chapter 3 that in the very last times when Jesus comes back, he's going to judge all the nations of the earth and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he's going to judge them. Listen closely to what the scripture says. He's going to judge them because they divided his land. Folks, what's happening right now in our world when it comes to the nation of Israel and the land that God promised Israel? It's not politically correct to say these things, but who cares? We've got to be faithful to the scriptures. Even our country and our leadership is telling Israel to divide Jerusalem, divide the land, give them the Gaza Strip, give them more. And the scripture clearly says that in the time that Jesus comes back to this earth, he's going to judge all the nations because they divided his land. Folks, we're under judgment right now, I believe. And it's going to culminate even more when Jesus comes back. Helps to know the scriptures. Because if you know the scriptures, you won't be voting for these people who will be telling Israel to divide the land. Wouldn't it help to know the prophecies? Wouldn't it help to know the scriptures that the Bible says God promised that that land would be given to Abraham and his descendants forever? Now God removed them from the land for a long period of time as his judgment for rejecting the Messiah. But that's his prerogative. He can do that. He can his prerogative. But he also said in the very last days he'd bring them back into the land. And that's one of the evidences that we're in the last of the last days. The fact that Israel exists again. It's an amazing miracle in and of itself. But here what I want you to understand is, Jesus said, I want you to be able to recognize the signs. But how will you know unless you know what the prophecies say about these days? And there are many, many, many. Later on, if you want to look at it, just go look at Zechariah chapter 12. 
In Zechariah chapter 12, it talks about in the very last days, God's going to make the nation of Israel, and especially the city of Jerusalem, a real problem for the whole world. And the whole world's going to have a bellyache over Jerusalem. And tell me that that's not starting to happen already in this day that we're in. Alright? Go real quick to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to give you some encouragement. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verses 
John says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know this, that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Listen to verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Folks, if you really do believe that the rapture could occur at any time, that it is a pre-tribulational belief, that it is an imminent thing, that every generation should be looking for the return of Jesus Christ in their lifetime, if you have that biblical understanding, you will live your life in what way? Pure. Holy. You'll be actually living as if Jesus is coming in your lifetime. You won't be living like, eh, whenever. And Jesus talks about in the parables about those who think their master is going to be gone for a long time and they party and they, they treat the other servants poorly and he comes back and catches them by surprise. But for us, if we believe he could come at any moment, do it, is the rapture going to occur in my lifetime? I don't know. Am I living like it could? Yes. Because the Bible says we're supposed to. Will I be right or wrong? I don't know. But will I be wrong if I don't live like it's happening in my lifetime? Yes. Do you understand? Everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. Live your life purely. One more passage. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. It's right there. Just kind of turn left a little bit from where you just were. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. It says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets. And the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Since then, dear friends, you... So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. If we really understand that Jesus is coming back to this earth and He's bringing judgment to those who reject Him, and we're looking for Him to come and gather those of us who have trusted Him as Savior beforehand, we should be living understanding that there are going to be those who mock and scoff and say, yeah, Jesus has been gone for over 2,000 years. Where is this coming? I know the Bible says He's coming soon, but what does soon mean? Because 2,000 years is a long time, blah, blah, blah. The Bible says that God created the world by His Word. And if He said that He's coming, and He said it's going to happen in this way, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. 
Now, let me just say this real quick before we start getting into some of the signs now. I don't know everybody in this room. The Bible says some, the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus hasn't returned yet is what? He's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to salvation. Listen to me. And I'd be wrong if I didn't take this time to do this. If you're in here tonight and you have not yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, please do, because I'm about to show you that the time in which He gathers those who believe in Him is coming soon. And the time in which it looks like He's going to come and get not only His church, but then begin what He's going to do on the, on the earth during those last days in the day of the Lord. The Scriptures sure seem like they're being fulfilled in our day. And time is running out. And time is running out. So if you would like to trust Jesus as your Savior tonight, please, please, please do not leave this room without talking to me. Or maybe even somebody here you know that knows Him. And say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And the only way you do that is to understand that if you were to die today, you would spend eternity separated from God because you have broken His laws. And the Bible says the only ones that can spend eternity with God are those who are perfect, who have not broken His laws. Well, guess what? We're all guilty. But there's good news. That's what Jesus did. He came down, took on human form, lived in a human body just like yours and mine, yet he never sinned. He kept God's law perfectly. And then God punished him for the sins of everyone in the world. And he was crucified for our sins. And then he rose from the dead by his own power. And he says, if you believe that what I did will cover you, I will give you the gift of eternal life. I will declare you sinless. I will declare you righteous. I will declare you holy. And I will give you eternal life. And if you don't know him tonight, please, please, please tonight say, Jim, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior because I want to be ready when he comes and gets those who trust in him. The reason he hadn't come might be you. And if you are the last one we're waiting on, what are you holding us up for? Let's go. <laughs> All right. Let's deal with... Let's deal with some of the signs. Now, what I'm going to be sharing with you is some scripture, some articles. I, I have spent the last 20 plus years of my life studying prophecy. It's one of the passions of my life. And those of you that know, one of the reasons why I'm in this full-time ministry of traveling and speaking to the church to get them ready for the return of Jesus Christ is because I believe that I was sent by God in the last days to get His bride turned back to Him instead of man's methods and man's ways and running the church like a country club. And I've been challenged by God to go and get the church seeking Jesus again in a living relationship and being ready for His return. And because of that, I have been studying prophecy, and I get a lot of stuff all through the web and all sorts of different places. And I'm going to be just reading some things that I have been finding and showing you how they line up with Scripture. And I'm going to be giving you some things to chew on. Some of the things you may not agree with me on, that's okay. Your purpose is to wrestle with it and see whether or not it does line up with Scripture. I don't want you to say, Jim says... You better be Bereans and check everything I'm saying against the scriptures. Some of you are going to sit there saying, well, he didn't talk about this and he didn't talk about that. You're right. I can't talk about it all. There's not enough time. But what I'm going to be doing tonight is to share with you some things that I've compiled that sure show me, I think, that prophecies about how close we are to the return of Christ sure look like, listen, they are beginning to happen. I'm not telling you tonight that every one of these prophecies have already been fully fulfilled. I believe they're in the process of being fulfilled. Does that make sense? Do you understand the difference? It's the beginning of birth pains kind of a thing. I think that we're about to see the final act on the earth. And right before you have the final act, the curtain closes for a brief period of time. And what do they do? They set all the pieces for the play in place. The stage is set. And then the curtain opens and the final act happens. 
I believe that I'm about to show you pieces that are being set for the final act. The first one, Jesus said that we're to be watching for what? Earthquakes. Now, those of you that have been a part of our our, uh, email thing, I sent this to Susan and she sent it out. But I'm going to just read a couple of things from that real quick to you. It says, to the reason this guy's a man named Joel Richardson wrote this article in March uh, uh, 14th. He said, do the recent earthquakes in Haiti, New Zealand, and Japan have any relevance relevance with regard to the return of Jesus? This guy says, absolutely. If we consider the words of Jesus as well as some very stunning earthquake statistics, then a clear picture emerges pointing to the soon coming of the return of Jesus. First, it needs to be noted that Jesus taught that even as one can look at various or to various signs within nature as indicators regarding the changing of seasons, so also should we look to some specific signs with regard to the prophetic seasons and the drawing near of the time of redemption. Elsewhere, Jesus told us that among the signs of his return would be earthquakes, but the primary analogy that Jesus used to describe the last day's earthquakes were birth contractions, which we all know universally are universally characterized by a progressive increase in both frequency and intensity. And then he quotes from Matthew 24, verse 7 and 8, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. With all this in mind, it is fascinating to take note of some astounding statistics that were brought to my attention last year by my friend, Pastor Cecil Boswell from Nashville, Tennessee. Pastor Boswell has spent a lot of time reviewing and calculating statistics from the U.S. Geological Survey by analyzing the records of ancient earthquakes as well as every earthquake in modern times that registered a 7.0 or higher on the Richter scale. The picture that emerges is portentous indeed. From 1 AD until 1800, there are 11 major earthquakes recorded in history. Um, Again, these are the ones that are 7.0 or greater. This results in an average of one major earthquake approximately every 100 years. From 1900 to 2000, there were 10 major earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. This results in an average of one major earthquake every 10 years. From 2003 to 2007, there were 29 major earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. This results in an average of one major earthquake every 49 days. In 2008, there were 12 major earthquakes of 7.0 or higher. This results in an average of one major earthquake every 37 days. In 2009, there were 16 major earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. This results in an average of one major earthquake every 22 days. In 2010, there were 24 major earthquakes, 7.0 or higher. This results in an average of one major earthquake every 15 days. Do you see it? Now, actually, a friend of mine that I sent this to, who is one of these people that it, is a Berean, and he isn't going to believe anything just because it says it, he actually went to the National Geologic website and double-checked the figures for himself, and he found them not only to be accurate, he calculated how many in 2011. And when he had done the work two weeks ago, it had averaged out to one every nine days. So far, in 2011. Sadly, this guy says, even within the church, there will be those who claim that this information means absolutely nothing and that Christians should pay no attention. But for the majority of believers out there who take Jesus' words at face value, we who are watching the specific signs that Jesus spoke of, the evidence is all there. The contractions are increasing in both intensity and frequency. I believe there's a birth on the horizon, this man says. Now, once again, Jesus said that the earthquakes and the famines would be the what? The beginning of birth pains. Remember, these signs are signs that we are getting close to the day of the Lord, the tribulation period and the return of Jesus Christ. The rapture can happen at any time. There are no prophecies that talk about the rapture being close. Do you understand? The rapture can happen at any time. We are to be looking for it at any time. 
Paul believed it was going to happen in his lifetime. But what I'm talking about is signs that we're about to see the last act on the earth. The day of the Lord, as the scripture talks about. Another one is this. The One World System. There's an article by a man named Jack Kelly. Uh, his ministry called Grace Through Faith. If you want to go to his website, it's T-R-T-H-R-U. That's how he spells through. Grace Through Faith. This guy breaks down that the scripture says in Revelation 17 and 18 that there are three components to the one world system of the last days. There's a one world religion, there's going to be a one world government, and a one world commercial system. All of these have been developing for longer than most people suspect and are rapidly coming to fulfillment. As this happens, though, they're becoming more and more obvious to the public. No longer just the realm of the fanatical conspiracy theorists, today only those who refuse to see are unaware of their existence. In other words, the one world religion, he says, Islam is the most influential religious force in the world today. And the goal is nothing less than world domination by any means necessary. It is also the world's fastest growing religion and is second only to Christianity in number of adherents. Nearly one out of every four inhabitants of the world is a follower of Islam. After the rapture, Islam will be the largest, strongest, best organized, and fastest growing religion in the world by a wide margin. No other group or combination of groups will be in position to challenge it. And since Islam is not an ecumenically minded religion, all others will have to join it. And folks, I actually believe as well. I think that when the Bible talks about the one world religion, the world the religion that's headed up by the Antichrist and his false prophet, I honestly believe the scripture points to it. And I'll show you some more evidence of that tonight. I believe it is Islam. I believe that that is the one world religion. You look in the book of Revelation about those who were beheaded during that time period because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Who do we know who's doing that? There's other evidence that I'm going to share with you a little bit later uh, and that deals with that. But I believe that we are seeing that if the rapture occurs and the true Christians are gone, there's nothing to stop the rise of Islam. And as you know right now, they're not only trying to dominate the world, they're trying to take, change times and laws and make Sharia law and all this stuff. And they have infiltrated Europe. They're trying to infiltrate all around the Middle East right now. And with the church gone, Islam is going to take over the world. And I believe that that is the one world religion that it's going to be during that time period. All right? And again, some interesting things I'll share with you in just a second. There's also going to be a one world government. Listen to what this guy says. This guy says, for as long as I've been a believer, I've heard the talk of the coming one world government. But recently this has become a lot more than just talk. There's an obvious effort underway to eliminate both national borders and to create a world governmental system that would have authority over all nations. As just one example, a little while ago, our family enrolled in something called the Trusted Traveler Program. It consists of a special pass that issued to qualifying applicants from Canada, the USA, and Mexico that allows us to pass through any of the border checkpoints between the three countries without showing a passport or going through customs. With this pass, we can cross from Mexico, where we serve as missionaries, into the, into the U.S. in about 10 to 15 minutes. Previously, it took about an hour on regular days and more on weekends and holidays. Airline passengers from Canada or Mexico can go to special kiosks in designated U.S. airports and receive the same expedited service. Homeland Security expects about 84 million Mexican citizens to enroll, enroll in this program. I see this as a great convenience since we enter the U.S. about once a week at the world's busiest border crossing. But as I was looking at my pass the other day, I noticed on the cover a representation of North America with no national borders. And I realize this is only one step toward the goal of merging these three countries into the North American Union. The EU already has such a program allowing residents from any EU country to cross into any other one without passports. 
Other similar programs are underway in Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, and the Mediterranean. In my opinion, the Bible says a total of 10 of these multinational regions will someday exist, and they'll be involved in a lot more than tourism. He says, beyond that, there's talk of a single world government that will exercise authority over these 10 regions with a single figure at its head, the president of the world. And can we not see that the world right now is seeking to have this one world government? They are pushing for it, and it's, well, you're about to see. There's only a couple things in the way, and I'll read to you that in just a second. The one world commercial system. Since 2009, US experts, UN experts have been calling for a new currency, something to stabilize world financial markets and make international commerce easier, safer, and more inclusive. They also said an organization should be created to manage exchange rates between countries and to reduce market volatility caused by currency speculation. The world is very nervous about the current version of a mutually assured destruction being practiced by the US and China. What it boils down to is this. The Chinese have to keep loaning the U.S. money so Americans can buy the mountains of goods that the Chinese have to produce to keep their economy growing. As one example, 91% of the items on Walmart shelves now originate in China. A small fleet of the world's largest, con largest container ships makes continuous round trips between China and the U.S. to keep those sh shelves stocked. If either country stops doing what it's doing, both countries' economies will implode. This system keeps the U.S. dollar artificially high and the Chinese yen artificially low. It cannot survive long term, and everyone knows it. Something has to be done to allow other countries better access to both the buying and the selling sides of the equation. Many national economies simply can't recover from so-called Great Recession without receiving some kind of help. A new currency that's impervious to both speculation and the selfish interests of the individual nations is being viewed as the best solution to the problem. Again, if you've been following the news at all, you know that we are really, really close to the world saying we need one monetary system and the dollar isn't it and this isn't it and they may come up with a whole new one for everyone just like the European Union came up with the euro. All right, this guy then says left what's, what's coming. This is what's interesting. Listen closely to what he says. He said left to their own devices, nations go to war over things like this. The situation is not improving. The current cycle of public unrest in the Middle East is just beginning. We can expect it to get worse, not better. Western leaders and their media mouthpieces would have you believe that these are popular uprisings against autocratic leaders and are motivated by the desire for democratic freedoms. But others say that that's not the case. Look around you, they say. When has an Islamic population ever chosen democracy? What's at issue here is the need for the basic economic security, like a job that pays a living wage and a steady supply of food people can afford to buy. People will always choose repression over anarchy. History shows that revolutionary governments always wind up being more repressive than the ones they overthrew. They come to power by promising to meet the basic needs of their subjects. They stay in power by suppressing individual rights. The one world system will impose these conditions on a worldwide scale. It will, be, it will come to power by promising peace and safety in a time of chaos. Daniel 8.25 talks about that. It will stay in power by suppressing freedom. It will not tolerate religious freedom. It will not tolerate de democracy. It will not tolerate a free market economy. And for a time, it will appear to have succeeded. But the man at the head of this one world system will have an agenda of his own. And that is to be worshipped as God. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 the one who is God will have none of that and will respond decisively to this challenge. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 21 talk about that. But before then, there are just a few obstacles standing in the way of this one world system. The first is the United States, which with all its flaws has really been the antithesis of the one world system. 
It, is, it was founded upon the principle of religious freedom. It is the closest thing to a democracy the world has ever seen, and its power was built um, with a free market economy. It became too powerful to be defeated, so it had to be destroyed from within. For nearly a century, powers behind the scene have been working diligently to accomplish that. Today, they're so close to success, they no longer bother to hide. The second obstacle is the church. But soon God will have had a belly full of this world and will take us out of harm's way in preparation for his judgment. For a time, it will look to the world as if their desired utopia has finally arrived. But just as they're saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. The one world system's final obstacle will be what? Israel. The people of God they're so desperate to be free of, thinking to prevent the Lord's return by destroying his people, the world will unite in their common goal to wipe Israel off the map. But the Lord has never left his people, always remaining close enough to hear their cry for help. And as soon as, as they ask, he'll come to their rescue, destroying the one world system and capturing its leaders. He'll return to the earth and set up the kingdom he promised them, one that will never be destroyed or given to another. Finally, the world will have peace. You can almost hear the footsteps of the Messiah. And folks, in this article, like I said, we see the beginning of these things that the prophecies have been saying all along. There's going to be a one world government, one world currency, a one world religion. And we see these things have been going on behind the scenes, but they're at the point, as this guy said, they're not even bothering to hide it anymore. Please do not hear these statements as political or anything like that, because I'm not super proud of either party right now. But it's obvious that what's going on in our leadership right now of our government, that our leadership is far more interested in being a part of the one world system than a care about what we do as a nation individually. And we see, and I see, him being elected as a part of all this stuff that God said was going to happen. And you know what? We've been given what we wanted. We've been given what we wanted, and it's sad. But I'm telling you, we're seeing the signs that things are all being put in place. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. The earthquakes are increasing. The famines are about to happen, I believe, within the next two, year on a rap, two years on a rapid scale. One company that I follow, they're not even Christians. Their purpose is to predict uh, trends for multinational companies. And this company has been dead on accurate in every one of their predictions of what's going to be happening in the world. And this company, a year ago, made this statement that by December of 2012, it will be more important to get food on your table than it will be to buy presents in the United States. And this company has not yet ever been wrong. They predict, they see trends, and they see what's going on in the world markets. And the Bible says that one of the next things we're going to be looking for, along with the earthquakes, are what? famines, folks. Remember what he said. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are the beginning of birth pains. See, we have a tendency to try to read ourselves into these prophecies. I, the rapture could occur tomorrow night. It could happen tonight. It could happen Thursday. We don't know. But understand this. There could be a time period between the rapture and all this stuff that's going to finally happen on the world. All I know is the things that the scriptures have always said would be in place are in place. I'm watching for the return of Jesus Christ for his church. Let me give you another example of something. I had talked to you earlier about how I believe Islam could be the one world religion. There's a couple of things about this that I'm going to throw out to you that are very interesting, and I want you to wrestle with this one. For years, we have, those of us who have studied prophecy, have looked at the fact that uh, the scripture says that and Daniel, that the Antichrist, we thought he was going to come from Rome because the people of the prince who will come will destroy the sanctuary. 
this one guy writes a very interesting article dealing with Islam and all that, but he deals with that prophecy about the prince who will come. Listen to what he says. He says, traditional Bible scholars tend to believe that the Antichrist will be from Rome because of the verse in Daniel 9.26, which states that the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, will be of the same people that will destroy the city and the sanctuary, which was the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD at the hand of the Roman army. Flavius Josephus' historic recordings have confirmed many of the events in the scriptures. The one thing that's particularly interesting is Josephus' observance of exactly who it was that destroyed the temple in 70 AD, and particularly in regards to the verse in Daniel 9.26. Now we know that the people of the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, were the Romans, and because of this verse, many biblical scholars hold firm that the Antichrist will come out of Europe in the form of the revised Roman Empire. But if we look at the fine details, the people of the prince to come actually has an Islamic twist to it. All the empires that have ruled throughout the ages that are mentioned in the Bible have all covered the landmass of today's major Muslim nations that are threatening Israel. This is also true with the Roman Empire, especially in the eastern leg of the Roman Empire, in the time of the Temple's destruction. In fact, Josephus' writings delve deeper into the identification of the exact legion of the Roman Empire that destroyed the Temple. The Temple was destroyed by the eastern leg of the Roman Empire under the reign of Titus Caesar. Now, Titus's confederation was divided into four legions. All four attacked Jerusalem in 70 AD. However, it was the Fratensis Legion that were the ones who physically burned the temple down. Now, who were the Fratensis Legion made up of? They were made up of people from Turkey and Syria, which by that time were long under the Roman rule and had become Roman soldiers themselves. So here we find exact, the exact identity of the people of the prince who is to come. And this guy says, what's up with Turkey? All right. In Daniel chapter 2, we see the statue of metals that depict the empires throughout the ages, both past, present, and Daniel's time, and future. The legs of the statue are made of iron and represent the two legs of the Roman Empire. The western leg had Rome as its capital, and the eastern leg had Constantinople as its capital, founded by Constantine, in which the Roman Catholic Church would be founded in 380 AD. Constantinople was located in an area of Asia Minor, which is today's nation of Turkey. The eastern leg of the Roman Empire fell from within in 476 AD, but the western leg was conquered in 1453 by the Ottoman Turks, which were of the Islamic Ottoman Empire, and would go on to regain or reign throughout Southeast Europe, Western Asia, and the Northern Africa up until 1923. Christian Constantinople would become Islamic Istanbul as it is today. In Daniel chapter 8, we see the vision of the ram and the goat, and how the Grecian Empire was divided into four inner empires after the death of Alexander the Great. We then see a prophecy of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a parallel to the coming Antichrist and how he desecrated the temple and took away the daily sacrifice. Ironically, Antiochus Epiphanes came from the Seleucid division of the Grecian Empire that was stationed in the area of today's Turkey, Syria, and Iran. Time and time again, the Bible seems to be telling us that the Antichrist is going to arise out of the area of Turkey and be of Islamic rule, not necessarily strictly European as so commonly believed, However, there's a still very good possibility that it could be both. After all, Turkey is a NATO member and has been strongly bidding to get into the EU. So what's interesting is this guy brings out, again, this is just something to just look at, that there's a chance that the prophecy about the people, the, the, the people of the ruler who will come, the ruler could come from the area of Turkey because the ones who actually did the destroying of the temple were from that area. Very interesting. And he brings up this last little part here. He said, it seems to be of no coincidence that as we get closer to the tribulation hour, that Islam has been on the rise more and more. As we examine current events, we see that the things going on in the Islamic nations and around Israel are lining up with scriptures. Throughout the books of the prophets, we see judgment upon judgment being laid on nations that are all today's Islam nations. 
There is the burden against Egypt, Isaiah 19. The burden against Babylon, Isaiah 13. The burden against Edom, Isaiah 21. The burden against Arabia, Isaiah 21. The burden against Syria, Isaiah 17. And even the burden against Israel that shares its land with a large Islamic presence. The word burden means a duty or misfortune that causes hardship, anxiety, or grief. Do we not see this, see this in all of these nations today? Sure, other nations are going through troubles too, but they are not listed in the Bible, and that is for a reason. The reason being is that the Bible is outlining the nations that are specifically against God, or shall we say anti-Christ. Traditional Bible scholars have overly insisted that the anti-Christ in his system will evolve out of Rome, but we don't see the burden against Rome anywhere in the Bible. The Bible is consistently naming Middle Eastern nations throughout its prophecies as being the subject of God's wrath. Furthermore, the Roman Catholic Church does not deny the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Islam does. As for the Muslims excuse me, that are faithful to their holy book, we can certainly see the kind of fruit that they bear. So it's interesting. There's a possibility that the Antichrist might come out of Turkey. Be watching. Know the prophecies. Know what it says. Will we able to, are we able to now predict that it's going to come out of Turkey? No. Remember, prophecy is not for the purpose of predicting. The prophecy is to know what it says so that if you happen to be alive when it occurs, you're alert and you're watching and you're ready. I hope I'm not here when it when he's revealed because I believe the Bible says, and I wouldn't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is because the Bible is pretty clear that the church will be gone by that point. He won't be revealed until after the church has been removed from the earth. All right? Um, oh, he may be alive today, but there's even a chance he may not know that he's the Antichrist. It might not happen until the midpoint when he decides he wants to be God, because that, that's most likely right around the time that the, the Archangel Michael kicked, has the battle with Satan, and he's kicked out of heaven, and he's sent down to the earth, and then he comes in and dwells the Antichrist himself. There's a chance that the Antichrist doesn't know he's the Antichrist. It won't happen until the midpoint that he knows he's the Antichrist. He just might be seen as this really cool leader that's bringing peace on the earth. We would know... Because of knowing the scriptures, but we're not going to be here when that happens. Otherwise, we'd be saying, don't do it. But again, what is this all saying? What is this all saying? Be ready. I want to talk real quickly. There, there's another thing I could do. We don't have time for that, but I want to wrap up with this. There are many. I know you have time. I appreciate that. There are just so many other things that are lining up with the fact that the nation of Israel exists even after so many thousands of years of not being a nation. Folks, you got to understand the miracle of that in and of itself. No nation in the history of the world has ever been removed from their land for over 300 years and ever come back. Yet Israel was gone for almost 2,000, scattered to all the nations. And not only were they scattered to all the nations, what were all the nations that they were in trying to do to them? Get rid of them and wipe them off the face of the earth. Yet, how in the world did they not only come back and become one of the most powerful nations on the planet right now, as tiny as they are? You've got to understand, Israel is no bigger than New Jersey. Yet, they're one of, they, they probably have better technology than we do here in the U.S. Our U.S. government uses their spy system because it's better than ours. God had made a promise, and he's going he's to fulfill it, and he's going to keep it. That's definitely one of the things. There's a lot of other things that. Well, let me just read to you real quick a couple of things that, uh, that would just kind of point to the fact that we're close. Uh, all right, listen to this. For the first, the broad outline of prophetic events predicted for the last days in the biblical books of Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, and others remain viable. 
something that's highly unusual if geopolitical events are merely random. In other words, these prophecies that were written in Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, about all the nations that would be involved in what was going to happen in the last days around Israel, the fact that they are all viable right now, thousands of years later, that's, that's not an accident, folks. That's not an accident. Uh, along with that, let me just find one here that I think is very interesting. How about this is the first time in 2,500 years that the ancient city of Babylon is literally being rebuilt. Having been started by Saddam Hussein, stopped during the Gulf Wars, and is now being rebuilt again. The city of Babylon is mentioned prominently in the book of Revelation in the last days. And these prophecies may indeed refer to a little rebuilt city, which I do believe they are if you've heard me teach on Revelation. How about this? China, the Eastern Powers, the Islamic Confederation, Russia, and the European Union, these are all precisely the four power blocks that the Scripture speaks as relating to the last days of biblical prophecy. The four power blocks are already all in place. Now, did anybody notice that the United States doesn't exist? Has anybody caught that? Well, the United States is uh, mostly immigrants from uh, Europe and uh, the Right, but at the same time, most likely one of two things has happened. We've been decimated by a judgment of some kind, terrorist or not, or we've changed our politics and we're 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 somehow tied in with all those power blocks that exist. You're right. Whichever it is, it doesn't look good for the United States, folks. We've got to understand. It doesn't look good for us right now. It doesn't look good for us now. That's right. Here's the last thing I want to throw out to you. Now, please, 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 please hear what I'm saying. I'm doing this because of its interestingness. I'm not saying this that I'm predicting, because if I'm predicting what I'm about to say to you, it takes away the imminence of the rapture. This year is struggling to again. No, this is not. <laughs> Here's the thing. When Jesus came to the earth the first time, he fulfilled to the day the first four spring feasts in his first coming. Now, in the Bible, we see that God gave the nation of Israel seven feasts to be signs. They have the first feast, which is the day of the Feast of Passover. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then they had the Feast of First Fruits. Then they had the Feast of Pentecost. Those were in the spring. Then there were no feasts during the summer. And then in the fall, they were to be the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. Interestingly enough, to the very day, Jesus fulfilled every one of the first four feasts when his first coming. He was crucified on the day of Passover. He was put in the tomb on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. And so many days later, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt the church on what? The day of Pentecost. If, please hear the big if, if Jesus chooses... To fulfill the fall feasts in his second coming, there is a chance that the rapture of the church will occur on the Feast of Trumpets. Because interestingly enough, the Feast of Trumpets is the only feast you don't know the day of the hour. All the other feasts, it says, it starts at sundown at such a day. But the Feast of Trumpets, you don't know the day of the hour. The Feast of Trumpets was also a wedding type of a feast. It was a celebration. And interestingly enough, if you were alive in that time when the Jewish 
system was working of weddings and stuff, and the young man had purchased his bride. If you know anything about weddings feasts in the Jewish system, he would purchase his bride. He would then leave her. They were betrothed, legally engaged. He would leave her to get ready for the wedding. He would go back to his place and make ready the wedding feast. He could not come back and get his bride until his father said he was ready. Remember what Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you to bring you to be with me that you'll be with her where I am. Wonderful picture of the rapture. He's going to prepare a place for us. We're his bride. We've been purchased already through Jesus Christ and at the cross. And he's, gonna, he's preparing a place. But if you ask that young man as he was walking down the streets of Jerusalem, Hey buddy, when's the wedding feast? His answer was this. Ask my father. Is there a chance, please hear this only as speculation. Is there a chance that when Jesus said, no one knows about the day of the hour, only my Father, he might have been pointing to the Feast of Trumpets? Now again, we don't know. But I'll tell you one thing, I've got it marked on my calendar for this year. <laughs> I thought you didn't know the day of the hour. Because if I were to say that, I would just contradict everything I've said about the imminency of the rapture. Do you understand? To say that it will occur on the Feast of Trumpets is not good Bible teaching because we don't know when it's going to occur. We're to be ready and watching and it could happen at any time. But there is a chance that it could if Jesus chooses to fulfill the fall feasts in his second coming. And what if it? I'm sorry? Feast of Trumpets is oh, yes. a, it's a Jewish feast. Okay, why you don't know this? Okay, that's good. For those, for those glad you said that. For those who don't know why they don't know the day of the hour, the Feast of Trumpets did not begin until after a certain day. The priests would go and look and see the first full moon. It was supposed to be there, but they couldn't blow the trumpet to begin the feast until they saw it. If it was cloudy, they weren't to start the feast. Which is very interesting that God would set it up this way, but he did it for a reason, and it might be so that we would, it would be tied in with the rabbit. Alright? But if they could not see the full moon, they waited and waited until they could see the full moon, and if it didn't happen that night, they started again the next night. Now, they had set it up that if by two nights they hadn't seen it, the feast would begin. But you don't know the day nor the hour, because it doesn't begin until they see the fourth full moon. They went and told the high priest. He then said, okay, it's good, and then they blow the trumpets. It's also very interesting that on this feast, they blow the shofar or the trumpets a hundred times. The very last time that they blow it is called the last trump. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15? Let me tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at what? The last, last trump. Many prophecy people have wrestled with the last trump, and that's why some people say the rapture can't occur before the tribulation, because there's trumpets in Revelation, and during the, you know, there's so many trumpets during the seals and all this kind of stuff. And they try to make the last trumpet in the book of Revelation the last trump. Well, there's going to be trumpets blown during the millennium. When's the last one? What if it was talking about the Feast of Trumpets and the last trumpet, the Feast of Trumpets? Again, if we're all here, September 30th, don't say, Jim, well, you were wrong, because I didn't say it's going to happen then. All right? I want you to understand. I want you to listen and believe that when I teach this.
the scriptures. I'm trying to stay faithful to the scriptures because there's plenty of false prophets. There's plenty of people that are twisting the scriptures for the purpose. I don't want to ever be one of those kind of people. I want to stay faithful to the word. But what if that time period of no feasts during the summer is a picture of the church age? And what if he chooses to do it in that way? Wouldn't that be interesting? He raptures the church at the Feast of Trumpets. The Day of Atonement is when he reconciles Israel. Remember, they look on him who they pierced and he takes away their sins, as the Bible said that he will. And then he comes and sets up his kingdom on the Feast of Tabernacles and Tabernacles with us. I don't know. We don't know. Really, you're about to say something. That was it. How the other feasts? Yes, ma'am. And also, I heard the theory about this, this portion, the scripture that you read in 2 Peter 3, 14,000 years, the earth is very young. Yeah, but there are those there are those that go with that that say that he created the the world in seven, six days on the seventh day he rested. Why did he need to rest? Was God tired? Of course not. What was it's a picture of the six thousand years of the earth age and the seventh year is the millennium, thousand year reign of Christ on the earth. We could be very, very close. Again, please hear me. There may still be a time period between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation. It could be many years. Because at some point, and I believe Babylon is Babylon in Revelation, at some point Babylon will be destroyed and the whole world will grieve because it was the center of commerce. There's also a very interesting... I'm just covering up the microphone. There was also a very interesting... Real quick, let me just go there. Go to Zechariah chapter 5. I believe at some point the headquarters of the Antichrist will move from wherever it originates, whether it be Rome or not. Wherever it originates, it will move to Babylon. Look at a wonderful, interesting prophecy in Zechariah chapter 5. So look at verse 5. Zechariah 5 5. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what this is that is appearing. I asked, What is it? He replied, It's a measuring basket. And he added, This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. He said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down over its mouth. Then I looked up, and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket, I asked the angel who was speaking to me. He replied, to the country of Babylonia, to build a house for it. When it is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. The Bible in Revelation clearly says that in the very end, in the judgment during the seven year period, uh, time of the tribulation, that there's going to be a judgment and God is going to destroy Babylon. Not just religious Babylon, but commercial Babylon. I believe it's being rebuilt right now. I believe it will become the headquarters for the world at that time period, which again points to the possibility of Islam being very actively involved in all that stuff. Are we close? I don't know. Is it going to happen in our lifetime? I don't know. Could it? The rapture could. But please hear me this way. Even if the rapture doesn't occur in your lifetime, the return of Jesus Christ is going to happen in your lifetime. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he will come get you. Be ready. You had your hand raised. Yes, ma'am. Yes. The the destination you were talking about, whether the United States would be, in your mind, just in in your own thinking, Mm -hmm. have you wondered if that third of the earth and third of the water 
might be before the tribulation or? It has to be during the tribulation. Okay. It has to be because it's in the seals that all begin in that time period. Okay. And all. So I believe that's going to happen during the first part of the tribulation. Thanks. Yep. Again, personally, this is just me. I think the rapture will play a big part in what happens to the United States. But that doesn't mean we won't be facing some serious times before that. Yes, sir. Um, with the awesome power that's being growing that's being right against Israel, uh, what do you think? Why would they possibly need to have a peace treaty? Why would they have to have a peace treaty? Right. They don't like the peace treaty, but why would they? <laughs> well, and that's a good question. With all the power that Israel actually has, why would they need a peace treaty? Well, one right now, you've got to keep in mind, as we talk about Israel, Israel is not a religious nation. Ezekiel 37's prophecy is being fulfilled in the fact, remember the Valley of Dry Bones, and God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, only you know. And God had him prophesy to the bones, and they became alive again, and they stood up, and the skin came on them, and so on. And God said, these bones are the house of Israel. But then he was told to prophesy breath into them. They are alive, if you will. They're all standing up, and the nation of Israel is being regathered, but they don't have the breath of God in them yet. So first and foremost, they're not a religious nation. There are some devout, but for the most part, the nation of Israel is more proud of their heritage than anything. They, even though they have so much power, they want peace. Think about the fact that they've given parts of their land already for peace. It's stupid because the people that are saying, if you just give us this land, we'll be peace. Or if you give us be a state, we'll be peaceful. If you give us half of Jerusalem, we'll be peaceful. That's a lie. They want them wiped off the face of the earth, and it'll be easier to defeat them if they get closer and closer. Why would they make peace? I think because they think it will work. <clears throat> but it won't. If they have a peace treaty, then they probably will disarm yeah. And, and then open up to the point where they can be attacked. Yeah, but remember, God said that Israel will be an immovable, an immovable rock. Now, during the time of the midpoint of the tribulation, when the Antichrist goes after Israel, two-thirds of the city will be destroyed, and, and a third will run off into the desert of Moab to be protected by God until the very end. So it'll look like they've been defeated, but they won't be ultimately defeated. Allison, you want to say something? His question is actually why would the other nations who have so much power... I see. Oh, your, your question was why the other nations would make want peace, peace with Israel. Because uh, Israel's always trying to get peace, but the other people don't live up to their peace. Honestly, again, this is my guess. My guess is why would they want to make peace is because I think there will have been chaos in the world. And they just want everybody to get along kind of a thing. And part of what that is is, is they think if we could just make peace with you, quote unquote... Like he just talked about, you let your guard down. Again, we don't know why. Yeah, but Egypt and Syria, Egypt and Syria just said they're they're beginning to merge. If Israel gets out of line, yep. we'll declare war on them. I, I, I actually believe that there's going to be a war against Israel before this peace treaty is signed. But then again, this is speculation. Yes, ma'am. And won't the rapture create chaos like the world's never known? No, I, I believe it will. Aren't we also told though, that Israel will gain strength and rebuild to the point where they could be in contention for be, things? Because of the fact that they will defeat the enemies that come against them. Right. And they will become powerful through that as well. And so the other nations may see they can't get them in one way unless they have peace with them. Yeah. Are you trying to try to get in the head of the Muslim nations? Don't try. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try. Yes, sir. The longer they can stall for peace, the longer they get 
chance to put their chest in the right position to go after to yep. develop a nuclear warfare to do all of Yep. But as you read your Bible and you know the prophecies, they won't be defeated. They won't be defeated. Yes, sir. Uh, a hundred years ago, I was reading an article that thought I had done some research as to exactly when Jesus was born, and it came out the Feast of Trumpets. Yeah. So I'd be interesting that he came to earth during that period and come back to earth. Again, there's lots of speculation. I'm looking for his return every morning. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, if he chooses to do it that way, that's good with me too. Yeah. I got kids that are learning to drive and my insurance is going up. <laughs> yes, it's getting expensive. Yes, it's expensive. Let me wrap this up and we can talk some more after. We'll turn the recorder off. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this chance to come. Thank you for this room full of folks who have a hunger to look at what your word is saying about the signs of your return. Father, keep us from uh, setting dates. Keep us from predicting. Keep us from running ahead of you. Keep us in the reason for why you... It's not for us to know the times or the dates, but we're to recognize the signs. Father, may this tonight have made us more curious about the prophecies. May it want us to go and read Daniel, all of it. May it want us to go read Ezekiel. May it want us to go read Isaiah. May it want us to go read the book of Zechariah and Joel and Micah and all these places and all these books that talk about what's coming. May it want us to read the book of Revelation again. May it want us to look at your word and Thessalonians, and Timothy, all the way through, because most of what you've shown us is all what's still to come. Lord, may we know your word, may we take it to heart, and may we be encouraged, and encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching. And may those who are around us, who might be freaking out because of what's happening in the world, with the tsunamis, and the earthquakes, and the famines, May they be wanting to ask us to give reason for the hope that lies within us. And may our hope only be because you have said you're in control and everything's on schedule and that you've taken care of us through Jesus Christ and that we can rest in you. Lord, you haven't promised that we won't have uh, bumps in the road. In this world, we will have trouble. But before this final day comes, I believe your word shows us that you're going to come get us, and we thank you for that. But because you haven't come yet... You're giving people an opportunity to be saved. And again, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, may not they not leave this room until they do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.